Welcome back. This is the final session in our series titled Three Cosmic Messages, Earth's Final Conflict. This entire series has been based on the book of Revelation and specifically Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. These three messages are eternal, they're urgent, and they are universal. They're messages that God has given to prepare a people for His soon return. Each of these messages focuses on the second coming of Christ. Each message rings with hope. In this presentation, we'll be discussing God's final move, earth, a world ablaze with the glory of God. It is time to lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, for Jesus is coming again. Listen as Charles sings. Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, ye pilgrims, be joyful and sing. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now echo in hilltops, proclaim it ye plains. Jesus is coming again. He's coming in glory, the Lamb that was slain. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. Heavings of earth tell a vast wandering throng. Jesus is coming again. Tempest and whirlwinds, the anthem prolong. Jesus is coming again. Coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. The nations are angry. By this we do know, Jesus is coming again. Knowledge increases, men run to and fro. Jesus is coming again. Coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming. Amen, Charles. And that is the hope of our world. Jesus is coming again. During this presentation, I'd like you to invite you to bow your heads to pray. And as we pray, let us have our hearts ring with the hope of Christ's soon return. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is coming again. We thank you for three cosmic messages, three messages of eternal hope that in spite of what we see around us with famine and earthquake, with pestilences, with these strange viruses, 
with the threat of nuclear war, with economic disaster pending, with the chaos and calamity in society and among nations, no matter whatever we see around us, and even the challenges in our own personal life and in our families, our health, we have the hope of the coming of Christ. And so gear end to us that deeper hope, that broader hope, that brighter hope, that greater hope, as we study together in this presentation, in Christ's name, amen. My topic is ablaze with God's glory. One day soon, the earth will be ablaze with the glory of God. That is the message of the book of Revelation. One of the more significant events in the First World War was the sinking of the RMS Lusitania by German submarines. That sinking brought into the war the United States and many of the other allied nations. The Lusitania was sunk on Friday, May 7, 1915. It was a tragic event. The vessel went down 11 miles off Kinsale, Ireland. It killed as this boat was torpedoed and sunk. There were 1,198 people killed and, not, and 761 survivors. There's a fascinating story that comes out of the sinking of the Lusitania. In fact, when the Lusitania was, was sunk, many pamphlets were published like Take Up the Sword of Justice, Enlist in the Fight of the War. It, it brought many soldiers to enlist, many enlistees into that war. Joseph Duveen was an art dealer and he had bought a ticket for one of his young art experts, an expert in pottery, to travel on the Lusitania to Europe to look at and examine some very exotic, very rare pieces of pottery. When Joseph Duveen saw the warnings regarding the war, he said to this young protege, this young pottery expert, I don't think you should go. There we've had warnings. This is a photograph of the actual warning that the Germans put out. Notice, travelers intending to embark on the Atlantic voyage are reminded that a state of war exists between Germany and her allies and Great Britain and her allies, that the zone of war includes the waters adjacent to the British Isles, that in accordance with formal notice given by the Imperial German government, vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or of any of her allies are liable to destruction. The German embassy issued a warning that the ocean liner might be torpedoed and destroyed. So Duveen said to this young art expert, I don't think you should go. I, 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 I don't want to risk your life. And the young man said, look, sir, when I read what was happening in the Atlantic, I began to harden myself. At first, I would sit in a tub of ice cold water for 30 minutes. But this morning, I sat in that ice cold tub for two hours. Sir, don't think I would leave preparation of such an important event to the last minute. I am prepared. I will go. The young man went. 
the Lusitania was torpedoes. And amazingly enough, this young man survived in the chilly, freezing waters for five hours, and he was rescued. He did not leave preparation until the last minute. The book of Revelation urges us, the book of Revelation invites us not to leave preparation for the second coming of Christ to the last minute. That's what the message of the three angels is all about. That's the purpose of these three cosmic messages, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. These are messages of hope. They're messages of encouragement. They're messages that have been given to us by a God of enormous love who wants us prepared. The Apostle Paul echoes the words of these end-time messages that are heaven's last appeal to a dying planet. We ignore Paul's words and we ignore these messages at our own peril. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, and then verse 6, But you, brethren and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. That's the day of the second coming of Christ. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. This is a time to be fully aware of what's taking place in Earth's history. This is a time living at the heartbeat of eternity, the knife edge of eternity. This is a time to know that there's nothing between us and Christ, that our hearts are fully, totally, absolutely committed to him. This is a time to understand the prophecies of this last prophetic book of the Bible, Revelation. This is a time to be sure that everything in our life not in harmony with Christ is surrendered to him. In the book Testimonies, Volume 8, Ellen White writes with divine prophetic insight on pages 27 and 28, the end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Did Paul, in the book of Thessalonians, say that, that Christ was coming as a thief quickly, rapidly, unexpectedly for the world? He did. And here, this statement points out that there will be, to the world's inhabitants, an overwhelming surprise. But we need not be surprised. We need not be caught unaware. As one early Adventist writer wrote, preparing for the second coming, he said, the only way to be ready is to get ready and to stay ready. You see, putting off the second coming of Christ till tomorrow, putting off preparation for his coming until another time means that we often will put it off until it's too late. These three cosmic messages speak to our hearts. They speak to our hearts to be ready today. Every generation from the first coming of Christ, when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. 
every generation for the last 2,000 years has heard those words echo in their ears. And it's God's intent that every generation live in preparation for his coming, live ready for his coming. But in this generation, the signs have coalesced. The things that Christ has said would take place are taking place. We have more evidence today than we've ever had. Somebody said to me, well, Pastor Mark, you as an evangelist have been preaching about the second coming of Christ for 50 years and telling people it's soon. I said, oh yeah, if we preached it 50 years ago, it's a lot sooner today than it was then. I would rather prepare for the coming of Christ in my lifetime and have him not come, but be ready for his coming, than not prepare and have him come and not be ready. There is no hesitation with the people of God. Christ calls us to be ready for his soon return. And I repeat, the only way to be ready is to get ready and to stay ready. God has given us divine insight in the prophecies of the book of Revelation. These prophecies point forward to the divine climax of history. They are a solemn appeal in the light of the judgment hour to make a total commitment to Jesus Christ and to make that commitment now. In the book of Angelism, page 119, I read, in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. This is our hour. This is the hour for the people of God. The sands in the hourglass of time are running out. And Jesus Christ has given us a message, a message outlined as being carried by three angels in midheaven. This is the time for Christian believers in general, Adventists in specific, to take the message of the three angels, the message of these three cosmic beings flying in midheaven, in earth's final conflict, to the ends of the earth. This is no time for religious complacency. This is no time for religious mediocrity. This is our hour to take God's last day message. What are those messages again? In summary, the first angel flies with the everlasting gospel, the gospel of God's grace to be proclaimed in the light of heaven's final judgment, calling all people to obey God and worship the creator. Here is a message of love, a message of grace, a message to go to the ends of the earth, leading people to be so enamored with Christ, so transformed by the grace of Christ to live godly, obedient lives. Here is a message of the judgment hour calling men and women to obey God. But because the majority of the world turns their back on this message, the second angel flies in Revelation 14, verse 8. He says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. As we've studied in this series, Babylon is a symbol of religious confusion, false doctrine, human traditions. Babylon represents a man-made system of religion. And so here, the second angel's message is calling us from all man-made traditions. It's calling us 
from making self the center. It's calling us from the humanism of our day. It's calling us back to Jesus and making Jesus a priority. It's calling us back to the truths of God's word. Babylon is a system that uses images or idols to represent its saints or its revered ones. But the message of the angels flying in mid-heaven call us back to the supremacy of Christ. Babylon misunderstands the state of human beings in death, so it teaches the immortality of the soul. It revives ancient sun worship rather than accepting the Bible Sabbath. So the messages of these angels, these three cosmic messages, call us back to worshiping the creator rather than the sun worship of the pagan philosophy and cultures. Failing to grasp the importance of the body as the temple of God, it, Babylon, treats the body as a funhouse rather than the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So God has an end time message, an end time message calling us back to give him glory in what we eat, in what we drink, glory in how we live, to praise him in every area and aspect of our lives. John 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The message of the three angels, these three cosmic messages, call us back to the word, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be hallowed by the very truth of God. Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, You shall know the truth. Some people have this idea that you can never know the truth, but Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth frees us. The truth liberates us from error and falsehood and apostasy. The third angel flies, Revelation 14, 9 through 11. It is a warning against receiving the mark of the beast. It is a warning against accepting a church-state political union to bring security and peace on earth. The vehicle of that union, of course, is that false sign of sun worship in opposition to Sabbath worship. Throughout the prophecies of the Bible, a beast, of course, represents a political or religious power. So the mark of the beast represents the sign of authority of a religious political power that attempts to bring the world together in a world unity movement. The beast of Revelation in 13 and 14 rises out of Rome, as we've studied, as a worldwide system of worship. History will repeat itself. In the days of the early Roman Empire, church and state united. At a time when the empire was falling apart, Constantine, the pagan Roman emperor, in an attempt to unite his empire, used Sunday as a vehicle in which the workshops closed. What was a common social day, church leaders united with the Roman state, passed decrees in church councils to sanctify Sunday contrary to the very word of God. This indeed will happen again. Great Controversy, page 588 says, through the two great errors. What are they, two great errors? The immortality of the soul in Sunday sacredness. Satan will bring the people under his deceptions, while the former lays the foundation of spiritualism. The latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. 
the Protestants of the United States will be the foremost in stretching their hands across the Gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, what's the threefold union? Spiritualism, Catholicism, and apostate Protestantism that has left its true lover, Jesus, to accept the counterfeit teachings of the world and the counterfeit teachings of Babylon. This country, America, will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of conscience. How will that indeed take place? In a time of immense crisis, in a time when it appears that this world is falling apart and crumbling, at a time of uncertainty, at that period of time, church and state will unite. The devil will work false miracles to bring together under the auspices of the vehicle of Sunday worship a common day of worship. Those that don't go along will eventually be persecuted, unable to buy or sell, is what Revelation 13 says, and eventually there will be a death decree. Now, one of the agencies that the devil uses to accomplish his ultimate goal of uniting the globe under his authority is false miracles. So the spirits of demons work miracles to get this false unity movement united. Revelation chapter 13, discussing the mark of the beast, discussing this economic boycott when no man can buy or sell, in verse 13 and 14 says, he, that's the devil, performs great signs or great miracles, great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. In the Bible, fire is a symbol of the presence of God. The fiery sword there at the entrance of the Garden of Eden, the presence of God keeping Adam and Eve from going back in. The fiery presence leading the children of Israel with the pillar of fire by night. That was a representation of the presence of God. Elijah, the fire comes down, the presence of God. In the New Testament, fire represents the presence of God manifest in the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire on the days of Pentecost, the fire of God's presence. But this is false fire. So this is a false presence of God, a false Holy Ghost movement under the beast. He performs, back to the graphic, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire, false Holy Ghost movement, false miracles from heaven on earth in the sight of man. He deceives, what does he do? Deceives those who dwell on the earth, how? By those signs he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. So here are false miracles that indeed occur. Revelation 16, verse 14 tells the source, the origin of these false miracles. For they are the spirits of who? Demons performing signs or miracles, wonders. What do they do? They go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So summarizing, Revelation chapter 13 talks about the rise of the papal power talks about its influence in the world. It talks about a vehicle under the auspices of the beast's power to unite the whole world just before the coming of Jesus. And Satan then unleashes the mighty powers of hell to work false or counterfeit miracles to convince the kings of the earth who often have this humanistic viewpoint, uh, these political leaders, 
And the idea is seeing is believing. So these false miracles convince them spiritualism, Protestantism, Catholicism, the nations of the world, the various religions of the world unite in an attempt to bring the world together in that unity. In the book Great Controversy, page 588, I continue to read, as the spirits, that's the evil spirits, will profess faith in the Bible and manifest respect for the institutions of the church, their work will be accepted as a manifestation of divine power. So there's this false religious revival that occurs. But God is not caught off guard. He is preparing for the earth to be lightened with the glory of God and a true religious revival will come at a time of global upheaval, natural disasters, economic collapse. The devil will work with all power and lying wonders to deceive. If possible, the very chosen people of God but the people of God have been warned. Three cosmic messages, three angels' messages have given them the alert, have opened their eyes, have prepared them for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The three angels' messages are heaven's safeguard against the deceptions of the enemy. The reformation at end time will be completed. Satan will not take the field alone. God will move through his end time people, his last day people, to restore the truth of his word. Honest hearted men and women will have their hearts illuminated with the glory of God, with the truth of God. The light of God's truth will shine. And as it shines ever so brightly, thousands and tens of thousands will respond to that truth, accept it and be prepared for the coming of Jesus. It will be written as is stated in Revelation 14, verse 12, it will be written of them, here is the patience of the saints. Here is the endurance of the believers. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus will have an end time people, a people that are obedient to him, a people that have the quality of Christ's faith living in their hearts, a people that have trust in Jesus at end time through that people. God will reveal his will, truths long obscured by the darkness of error and tradition, including the true Bible Sabbath, will be proclaimed to the world just before the return of our Lord. This earth will be lightened with the glory of God. The reformation that began in the 13th century and continued on through the 14th, 15th, 16th century, that reformation, that return to the Bible, that return to the centrality of Christ, that return to grace as the only means of salvation, that return to obedience to God as our motto, that reformation will be completed. That reformation will come to a climax in a last day Adventist people who are a movement of destiny raised up by God to proclaim his last day message to the ends of the earth. There will be the birth of a movement at end time. That movement has already begun. That movement is already echoing God's truth around the world. But there will be at end time a final movement of God, a final move of God. Revelation 14 verse 7 says, Fear God, give glory to him. 
The hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. Fear God. Respect him. Obey him. A message to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Give glory to him in your lifestyle. A message for the world. For the hour of his judgment has come. A message for every man, woman, and child on planet earth. Worship the creator rather than worshiping the ones who made and the works of our hands. The devil has tried to undermine creation in an age of evolution. But the call at end time, the call in the last days, the call of these three angels is a call to worship the creator and enshrined in the Sabbath commandment is that call to worship the creator. John in Revelation chapter 18 verse 1 talks about this final move of God. He talks about this last day movement and he says after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. The devil will not enshroud this world in darkness. The devil will not triumph in the end. Jesus will triumph in the end. The devil will not be victorious in the end. Jesus will be victorious in the end. The earth will be lightened with the glory of God. Now, did you notice our text, Revelation 18:1? After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority. Now, this expression, great authority, is a, is a very amazing expression. The New Testament is written in the Greek language, and the word for great authority is exousia. Now, exousia means authority, but it means more than authority. Exousia means power, but it means more than power. Exousia is a very hard word to translate into the English language or other languages. You don't really see the nuance on it. But the word exousia has to do with victory and triumph and power and authority. It has to do with Christ's authority over the principalities and powers of hell. So what Revelation 18 is saying is that God will have an end time people through whom he will triumph in the most crucial time of earth's history at the greatest crisis of earth's history. And his people will triumph by his grace and through his power over the principalities and powers of hell and the earth will be lighted with his glory. Now, I'd like to look with you at some other ways in the New Testament that this verb, exousia, or this phrase, exousia, rather, is described, great authority. Here we have it in Matthew 10, verse 1. When Jesus, he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. Now, notice the word for power is exousia. Over what? Unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So in the last days of earth's history, when Satan works false miracles, God at end time will manifest his power. Unusual power from beneath calls for supernatural power from above. And God will once again, through his church, bless it with supernatural power. We will see miracles worked. The sick will be healed. Undeniable wonders will be performed by the people of God because they are totally, absolutely committed to Christ, they will not be performing those miracles. They will be the vehicles that Christ uses to perform those miracles. But we are going to see the miracle-working power of God at end time. Will there be false miracles? Yes. 
Will many people be deceived by those false miracles? Certainly. What's the difference between the false and true miracles? We shared that in another presentation, but to summarize it in case you've missed that, false miracles lead you to be content in yourself, separate from obedience to God. False miracles have nothing to do with obedience. But genuine, authentic miracles always lead us back to obedience to God's natural law, God's moral law. Genuine miracles always lead us to heartfelt confession and repentance. And so this word exousia is a word of power and triumph. Here it's used again in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, now this is Christ's great commission to the disciples, to the first century church. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. That word authority again is exousia. And in a few short years, the disciples proclaimed the gospel to the then known world. How did they do that? In the power of Christ. How did they do that? In the power of the Holy Spirit. So at end time, when it looks like everything in the world is falling apart, when there's a union of church and state, when the people of God are oppressed, the latter rain power of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And the church rises as, as, as glorious as the sun, as fair as the moon, as strong as an army, according to Ephesians chapter 5. And the earth is lightened with the glory of God because God's church has risen to the occasion a God has a people totally, absolutely committed to him. And upon that people, he pours out his Holy Spirit. And in time, the Holy Spirit will be poured out in unprecedented power. The gospel will rapidly spread to the ends of the earth. This gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, verse 14, shall be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. This is Christ's promise. This is Christ's appeal to you and me. Be part of something big. Be part of something grand. Be part of something glorious. Do not play church. Do not fiddle around on the peripheries of faith. This is a time to share Christ. This is a time to share the hope of his soon coming. This is the time of urgency to share the beauty of his last day message with the world. This is a time to share the three angels' messages, these three cosmic messages in earth's final conflict with your friends and your neighbors. Revelation 18, 1, after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, exousia, power, with great triumph, victory. Now notice, the earth was illuminated with his glory. What does it mean the earth is illuminated with the glory of God? In the book of Revelation, there are three things that are linked. God's glory, God's honor, and God's power. When Satan challenged the government of God in the great controversy between good and evil millenniums ago in heaven, he challenged God's glory. The Lucifer wanted God's glory. He challenged God's honor. Lucifer wanted God's honor. And he challenged God's power. God will raise up an end time people who have only one interest, God's glory, not their own glory, not self-centered egotism, God's honor, not their reputation, God's power, 
not their power and not on some ego trip for power. Now, I want you to notice how these three things are linked as the ultimate solution to the great controversy in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So God as creator is worthy of glory, honor, and power. That's the real issue in the great controversy. That's the issue in this intergalactic struggle between Christ and Satan, who is worthy of glory, honor, and power. Notice Revelation 5.12. You have the same expression, a little different order, but the same. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Why is Jesus worthy of our honor? Why is Jesus worthy of our glory? Why is Jesus worthy of being the one who has the power of the whole universe? Because first, he created us, Revelation 4.11. Second, he redeemed us, Revelation 5 there, and verse 12. But notice the linkage of power, honor, and glory. Notice Revelation 19, verse 1. The redeemed, the redeemed standing in heaven with Christ when sin and suffering and sickness are no more, when heartache is no more, when pain is over, when evil is destroyed, when sin has been crushed by Christ, when the victory is Christ, we stand there with Jesus and we say what? Salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. The controversy is ended. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats throughout the vast creation. Sin and sinners are no more. And in the numberless worlds, cherubim and seraphim sing glory and honor and power to him. Revelation 21, verse 26. Again, they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. We clothed with the glory of Christ. We filled with one desire to honor Christ enter into that holy city. Satan, the evil serpent that deceived Eve, is crushed and gone forever. That evil angel, the being of dazzling brightness that rebelled against God, one day will be destroyed, burned up, consumed. All of those earthly powers that wanted their glory, beasts rise and fall, Babylon rises and falls, Medo-Persia rises and falls, Greece rises and falls, Rome rises and falls. Rome is broken up. There is this amalgamation union of church and state, dark ages, end time, political union of church and state. But all of these powers that have risen and fallen, seeking their honor, seeking their glory, they are now faded into insignificance. Here is the good news. There is one thing that will last. There is one thing that will endure. There is one thing that will go through the ceaseless ages of eternity. We'll be singing glory. We'll be singing honor. We'll be singing power to Christ. The great controversy will be ended. Jesus earned that right when he created us. Jesus earned that right on the cross of Calvary when he bore our sins and guilt. Jesus, resurrected from the dead, intercedes for us, and he is the one that is worthy of glory, honor, and power, charmed by his love concerned about his honor. His end time people reveal his glory, his loving, self-sacrificing character to a self-centered, godless world. And the earth is illuminated with the character of God because an end time people 
who want nothing else but what he wants, who desire nothing else but to please him, who are concerned about his glory, his honor, who are concerned about his reputation in the universe, that in time people go out and proclaim the message of his love, the message of his grace, the message of his mercy, the message of his incredible power, the messages of his everlasting strength, and the message of his soon return and the hope of his soon return. What is the glory of Christ? Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God's goodness is his character. The earth is filled with the glory of God as God's goodness is poured out through God's people as they reveal his character. The earth will be filled with the glory, the goodness, the grace of God as an end time people go out and proclaim that grace. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God coming to Christ. Right now, you are a child of God. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. But you remember what the Bible says, beloved, now we are the children of God. When are we children of God? Right now. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, we what? We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God is doing something in your life today, but God wants to do much more. According to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Jesus is the author of our faith, but he's also the finisher of it. Christ has begun to do something in your life. Philippians 1, 6 and verse 6 and 7 says, this is the confidence I have in him, that he that has begun a good work in me will finish it. God wants to do much more for you. However much you know Christ, he wants to fill you fuller with his grace. However close you are to him, he wants to bring you closer. He wants you to know him and to know him intimately. He wants to fill your heart with a sense of his presence, a sense of his love, a sense of his grace. Beloved, John says, the John that wrote the book of Revelation, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Yet it doth not yet appear what we shall be. For when he shall appear, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Is the great desire of your heart to be like Christ? Ellen White, writing to the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists in a, the Daily Bulletin of January 28, 1893, says this, The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. The message of Christ's righteousness, what is that? That I am unworthy, but he is worthy. I am unrighteous, but he is righteous. I am filthy, but he is clean. I am impure, but he is pure. I am weak, but he is strong. 
the message of Christ's righteousness is to go from one end of the earth to the other. What is the message, the summary of the message of the three angels? It is that Christ is all in all. We come to Christ, we forsake all of our own righteousness. His righteousness lives in our heart. The beast power focuses attention upon himself on some political religious unity to solve the problems of the world. What is the righteousness of Christ? It's only Christ can solve the problems of the world. He can solve the problems of our own personal life. He can solve the problems internationally of the world. The Christ that created us, the Christ that died for us, the Christ that intercedes for us, the Christ that's coming again for us, this Christ who is all righteous is our only savior and redeemer, Babylon. In all false religion speaks of the glory of man, Christ in genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity speaks of the glory of Christ. Babylon in all false religions speak of my reputation, my honor. Genuine Christianity speaks of Christ's reputation and Christ's honor. Babylon in all false religions speak of human works. What have I done? Genuine Christianity speaks of what Christ has done. Babylon. And all false religions speak of what I am doing for Christ. These false religions necessitate coming with, with offerings and flagellation and coming to make myself righteous before God. But genuine Christianity speaks of the cross. It speaks of what Christ has done for me. And in light of his matchless charms, I am drawn to him. Babylon and all false religions are based on a distortion of biblical truth founded in human opinion. Genuine Christianity is based on the truth as it is in Jesus. Genuine Christianity is anchored, not man's opinion, not in human ideas, not in some cultural approach that shapes the Bible according to my opinion, but it is anchored in Jesus and his word. Gratitude for everything Christ has done for us motivates our behavior, leads us to commit the entirety of our lives to him. The Bible says in the essence of these messages of the three angels, these three cosmic messages, the Bible says, fear God, respect him, give glory to him. In Testimonies to Ministers, Ellen White writes to Ministers, page 453, what is righteousness by faith? It is the work of laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man what it is impossible for him to do for himself. We come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, there is no way I can save myself. Jesus, take my life, my sinful self, and Jesus, save me. And Jesus, when you save me, you save me not for a life of disobedience. You save me for a life of obedience. The angel cries mightily in Revelation 18, 2 to 4. He cries mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, has become the dwelling place of demons. For all nations have drunk the wine of her fornication. Babylon in false religion that depends on human opinions is deceived by demons. The nations of the world drink the wine. They become drunk with her false doctrine. The kings of the earth unite with that false system. They commit fornication with her. The merchants of the earth, that is the economic powers, the moneyed men of the earth, become rich through the abundance of her delicacy. Here, there is a tr another threefold union. Apostate or false religions unite on their 
perceived idea of truth, their human opinion of truth, their human traditions. Political powers join them to bring the world together. The nations of the world unite, governments, the financial institutions or economic powers unite. But in Revelation 18:4, there is a clarion call. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. God makes his final appeal. That final appeal is going out to the world right now. Jesus is appealing to his people in a message of love. Come, be part of my last day movement. Come, be part of this movement, this divine movement of destiny. Come and share the glory of my truth to the world. Come and reveal my honor. Come and reveal my glory. Come and be empowered by my spirit. Come and unite your life with me and be participant in that final movement to the world. The Bible says it is time to make a decision for Christ. Babylon, described in Revelation 18, verse 5, her sins have reached to the heavens and God has remembered her iniquity. It is time when Jesus says, enough, enough sin. In the days of Noah, sin reached its final point. In the days of Noah, the cup of iniquity was set, uh, was, was filled. In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cup of iniquity was filled. And God said, enough, at end time. Jesus says, enough. In the last days of earth's history, God says, enough, enough suffering, enough heartache, enough sorrow, enough rebellion, enough sin. And Jesus says, it is time, gentlemen, ladies, it's closing time. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 208, reads, with unerring accuracy, the infinite one still keeps an account with all nations. While his mercy is tendered with calls to repentance, this account will remain open. But when the figures reach a certain amount which God has fixed, probation will close when that takes place. Notice what it says. The ministry of his wrath commences. The account is closed. Divine patience ceases. There is no more pleading of mercy in their behalf. The message of Christ is going out now. Every human being will have the opportunity to make their irrevocable decision. Probation does not close arbitrarily by God, but it closes as a signal that everybody has already made up their mind. This is decision time. Where are we in the stream of time? God is preparing a people to proclaim the marvels of his grace, the greatness of his love, the goodness of his character, the righteousness of his law, and the beauty of his truth. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ. This is the time in the light of the second coming of Christ to make our final decision for Christ. This is the time to get off the fence some time ago. Lord Cecil, one of the royal line princes of England was in Canada for a short period of time and he was on his way to a church service. And as he was, he looked out and saw a man whom he recognized that had been to church before, but who had drifted away from Christ. And this man was out working, splitting lumber. And all Cecil said was, brother, the Lord is coming. He kept walking. That lumberjack began thinking, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Am I ready? 
for his return? Am I ready for that day that Jesus will stream down the card of the sky? Am I ready for that day that the earth will be alight with the glory of God? Have I made a full, complete, total to surrender to Christ? This world is on collision course. And there is only one hope, the hope of the coming of Jesus. I love that song, We Have This Hope, that burns within our hearts. Listen as Charles sings. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of our Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of His word. We believe the time is here when the nations far and near Shall awake and shout and sing, Hallelujah! Christ is King. We have this hope that burns within our heart, hope in the coming of the Are united in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are united in His love. Love for the waiting people of the world. People who need our Savior's love. Soon the heavens will open wide. Christ will come to claim his bride. All the universe will sing. Hallelujah. Christ is King. We have this hope, this faith, and God's great love. We in the Christ we have this hope that burns within our hearts hope in the coming of the Lord we have this faith that Christ alone imparts faith in the promise of his word. Now we believe the time is here when the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing. Hallelujah! Christ is King. We this hope that burns within our heart, hope in the coming of the 
That is our hope, friend. Hope in the coming of Christ. If we do not have that hope, what hope do we have? Is death a dark hole in the ground? A long night without a morning? We have a hope. A hope that pierces our darkness. Reach out and grasp that hope. Reach out and embrace that hope. Reach out and cherish that hope. Christ is coming again. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope. We choose to allow Jesus to live in our lives and fill our lives with his grace and love so we can proclaim that hope to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you, my friend.